Hello and welcome to this episode of the View from the Lab podcast. I'm your host, Andy Woods. In this episode, we're talking about the thorny issue of recruitment and retention of science teachers. My guest is Sarah Longshaw from STEM Learning. Sarah has had a deep experience of the education sector with her 25 plus years in the classroom. She's also worked to support schools and science teachers in her role as a trainer of teachers and currently holds a role within STEM Learning. In this episode, we explore the many key factors that could be affecting the perennial problem we seem to have in holding on to our science teachers in England. We talk through some of the facts and figures, current scale of the problem, we discuss the cause, the effects, and possibly some solutions to address this current challenge. There's lots to talk about, so let's get started, as it's time to hear Sarah Longshaw's View from the Lab. Hi Sarah, and welcome back to the View from the Lab podcast. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to be back with you again. Now, although I hope we're going to have a good positive discussion, we are going to talk about some the challenge, uh, challenging aspect of the science teaching world um, uh, and science teacher recruitment particularly. Could you, be, could you start us off by giving us just an overview of um, your experience of the teaching world? Because I knew, you know you yourself have got a teaching background. Could you just uh, give us a summary of your career? Yes, of course. Um, I've been in education for 28 years now. Um, I've worked in a number of schools and I've worked in several different regions of the of the country. Um, most recently, I've been working in Cheshire, where I progressed from being a chemistry teacher to being a head of chemistry, head of science. And then I left teaching full time um, about six years ago now to lead the Cheshire Science Learning Partnership. Um, Since then, I had two part time teaching roles alongside that role, um, also taught um, trainee teachers. But I now have a new role and I am network education lead uh, for science for STEM learning. Right. So a perfect person for this conversation, a kind of good, deep knowledge of you know, the way schools work, the way science te- uh, teachers um, work together in departments. So lots of a wealth of experience I'm going to hope to draw on in our conversation today. Now, let's start off with um, where we are, where we think we are. Uh, we're recording this in, um, let's get a month right, May 2023. What is what the, what are the key stats that we need to know about um, to kind of kick off this discussion? And what are the most important things we, sh- we should be focusing on? Well, as you mentioned um, a few minutes ago, it's a pretty depressing um, position to be in at the moment. Um, the latest NFER figures for ITT recruitment suggest that we've actually got about less than half of the secondary teachers recruited and there are significant differences. So we've got just about 20% of the target of physics teachers, 30% computer science, 44% science overall, and Um, We've also seen a decrease in the number of primary teachers. So primary teachers recruited are down by 19%. If we add to this the information on the number of teachers leaving the profession, uh, again, NFER has stats comparing rate by subject, uh, by location and by school type. And in 2020, the rate of leaving overall uh, was 7.4% teachers leaving the profession but for physics teachers it was 8.2, biology 8.1, chemistry 8%. In addition to that there's been a recent report on the working lives of teachers that survey revealed and that was done about a year ago and the survey revealed that a quarter of teachers were planning to leave teaching for reasons other than retirement in the next year so in the year up to about now Um, and again 
another depressing statistic for you. The IOP estimates that 500 schools are without physics teachers. So, as I say, not a good place, really. Those are, you know, shocking statistics. I don't think um, that I've heard of any other profession having such, you know, challenges as uh, as those numbers represent. Um, you know, from my experience uh, being a former science teacher as well, I know, you know, physics teaching has always been a problem. And I think I've read, read a while back that even if all of the physics graduates uh, went into teaching, that still wouldn't uh, fill the gap that, that we that we need. Um, so that has always been a constant challenge uh, across the uh, across the country, definitely. I mean, in terms of uh, my experience uh, and uh, going into the going to, into the profession, um, the idea of incentives uh, from a personal point of view, I, I myself joined in the uh, beginning of the century now, back back in two thousand and two. Um, and uh, when I joined, uh, there were incentives, as there are now, uh, different types of incentives. So when I joined, uh, from memory, I think there was a golden. Hello, uh, and I can't remember if that was in the first year teaching or the, or the third, I can't remember, but also they were offering um, uh, student payback loans on that particular year where I trained, which was quite, which was significant at the time. Uh, and it was an incentive for me to uh, give the, you know, give the profession a go. I can't say I maybe would not have gone into the profession uh, if there wasn't any, any kind of incentive. And now there is... Um, an incentive to go into the profession. So how does how do the incentives compare, do you think, now to kind of what I experienced and any of the any of the other incentives you may have heard of along the way in that kind of 20 year period? So now we have um, bursaries and, and those vary by subject. So it's about £20,000 to train in biology teaching, 27 for physics, chemistry, computer science, or maths and there's a slightly increased bursary uh, sorry scholarship rate but I don't think it's just about the money I think it's um, teachers don't necessarily go into teaching for for the money and interestingly um, a survey I found from 2015 was still citing workload as a, as a reason why people wouldn't go into teaching um, and I think 80% of people from this 2015 survey were going into teaching because they wanted to work with young people, 75% to make a difference. Um, but more recent surveys have shown that only 30% of graduates now would consider teaching even if the pay was increased. Um, and lots are put off by behaviour and by workload. Um, I think Teacher Tap did a study recently that showed that about only a quarter of current teachers would actually choose to go into teaching again. So I think there are multiple factors and, and that's not really very helpful when we're trying to find solutions. Um, but yeah, you know, when I went into teaching, there were no bursaries or, or anything like that. I mean, pay is definitely an issue. But again, even now with the teacher strikes, it's not just about pay for teachers. It's about the funding of schools. It's about, you know, the fact that the funding of things like teaching assistance, SEND, you know, where the money for these pay rises is coming from. It's, it's more complicated than just money. Yes, it's, 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 a, it's a wider question. I think that often, you know, you hear, and I've spoken to you um, outside this podcast about, you know, the challenge of teaching and, and the, how perhaps teaching's role has changed. And although money is obviously a certain factor, because I've seen reports of some places like UCL about the, the, the retention effect of adding X amount percentage for early um, early career teachers and what that effect has, a measurable effect on, on reducing um, 
uh, you know, teachers leaving the, the profession in terms of science teachers. But it's about, I suppose, that is the the ratio of, I guess, work to the to the salary and how, and that's where work work life comes in and the the expectations. Which, um, I mean, I saw things change over those those twenty or so years. Um, I mean, can you think back to when you started teaching and what you think you weren't doing then that you may well have been doing lots of maybe fifteen years down the line, which actually probably did have an impact on your your um your day-to-day teaching and your ability to carry out the job in a reasonable amount of time you know for someone who may you know whether they've got a family or not to be honest you know a reasonable work work-life balance I suppose yeah I think I think there are again a lot of factors there depending on what you're teaching so when I started teaching you know you you largely taught your subject you didn't have to teach out of specialism whereas I think there's a lot more of that um, yes we're science teachers but you know I'm a chemistry teacher and, and if I have to teach physics I have to do a lot more preparation I feel a lot less confident um, so there's also that you know feeling of you know, is is this really what I want to do? There's less enjoyment. There is the behaviour issue. Um, again, I think a lot of teachers responding to this, um, the working life survey were saying that, you know, so much of their time isn't spent on the actual teaching. It's spent on administrative tasks. Um, you know, when I started teaching, technology didn't exist in the same levels as it does today you know so there wasn't the same level of data capture there wasn't the same accountability there wasn't the same pressure Um, I heard somebody describe schools as being the fourth emergency service and in a lot of ways that's very frightening because again it's that you know the other infrastructure you know you go into teaching because you want to make a difference but actually if you can't make a difference because some of the other needs aren't being met that's having a, a, an impact on your um, what you're doing, but also on your satisfaction, you know, your work satisfaction too. It's interesting you talk about um, accountability. I was talking to a student the other day and um, they were talking about a, uh, you, know, t- you know, teacher, teacher in the school, um, uh, I guess, not being, um, how's best to put it, I guess shouting at the class uh, about um, GCSE results, etc. And um, not being, it doesn't sound like they were, they were having a happy time, basically. And I kind of, it kind of reflected kind of that problem, the, the increased problem that teachers have in almost this accountability of their own classes and their own results. And they almost pass on the stress that they have from, you know, from uh, the head teachers, perhaps, or the, you know, the, you know, the senior management team who are also accountable results. And it seems like, again, it's this cycle of stress as you pass it on to the students, but the students aren't very happy because all they ever hear is, you know, you've got to get this target grade, you're not meeting this this progress, etc. So it feels like um, that is something that definitely did change, I think, um, when, uh, in, in that period for me as well, in terms of targets. In some senses, of course, it is, of course, good to have accountability, but it seems like the pendulum has swung so far in one direction that it seems like uh, nobody can focus on anything else other than uh, exams, I guess. I mean, how how are you? I mean, how, obviously you go into schools as well, and you, you you speak to teachers a lot. Of the teachers that are still there, um, still teaching, and what you know in the schools you work with, and um, how are they finding that? Is that changing, getting better, or is is it very much everything about the stats still, and that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon? Would you say? I think it's like everything, isn't it? It's that um, depends where you are. Um, I think also, again, if you're teaching out of specialism, you perhaps feel more anxiety. Um, I think there are, 
there, there are lots of different approaches and, and as you say you know would de- depend on the leadership of the school I don't think we can deny you know there is that level of accountability people do feel more pressure but then you know we know don't we when we look at um, exam reports in the summer that you know it's not just about what they've been taught in that year it's about what they've been taught you know at key stage three that underpins the key stage four and if there are gaps because of you know lacks of lack of teachers throughout a student's career then that can have an impact as well but I do think at the moment you know there is just so much pressure um, and we need to try and find ways of you know, it's not all about exams either, is it? You know, mm. perhaps we shouldn't be saying that, but uh, there, there are many routes to the future. And, and, and of course, we all want our pupils to do the best, but we also want, you know, them to, to have a, an enjoyable experience. And that links back to that, um, why people aren't going into teaching. And perhaps, you know, we know that actually a lot of people are influenced to become teachers by family members or by teachers they've had. Well, if they're not having a great time and students aren't having a great time because of the pressure they're feeling, because of the pressure teachers are under, if they're seeing that, is that an environment that they might want to be going into? So, you know, perspective with everything, I think. Mm, Yes, it's... um... As I say, is is that that word is maybe overused used balance, but um, I definitely remember there being uh, moments of you know teaching is never going to be an easy job, especially at a secondary school teaching a core subject. But um, you know there there was there was I suppose there's there's more light and sh- and I guess shade within um, uh, my early years of teaching where there was an aspect of fun of fun in the job of the kind of external things you used to do, and I think that kind of ebbed away a little bit as as, as time moved on, um, which is. Which is sad because uh, you obviously want um, the adults in the schools to to have a degree of, uh, uh, of course, enthusiasm for what they're doing, um, and that obviously gets passed on to to the students. And uh, the more enthusiasm and uh, you know autonomy, which you'll probably come to, um, is really important for teachers. And and uh, I think for science particularly, um, you have got this it, this uh, this challenge of the specialism. And I always felt, of course. Uh, more more positive and more flexible in my own specialism because I could weave about the subject a bit more easily than if I just looked at it the, the, the night before and then made sure I knew all the equations or whatever it might be or the, or the biological system if it, if it, was, if it was biology um, and whether there's some way in which that could be addressed because it kind of made me think about I spoke to language teachers when I was in school as well and I, um, the only thing close to that I suppose is I, I knew a teacher who'd come into my, the school I was in and um, they uh, were a, uh, a German teacher and then they were given Spanish to teach at GCSE which is kind of almost equated about how you know how different but yes it is a language but uh, you know it's a completely different language I think science is a bit like that as well so it's kind of um, it's addressing those those differences and um, in your experience and kind of your 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 role for STEM I guess you must know about regional challenges are there any particular places where getting science teachers is, is more challenging than others um, or there's any places that are really good and they're, they're actually kind of thriving uh, across England? I think again as I say the NFER has got um, a tool that you can actually look at that that variation but we know that areas where there are higher than average free school meals and also coastal regions yeah more difficult I think you know broader than that there are particular regions within regions where you've got you know you've got some schools who actually have you know 
a full quota of physics teachers, but you've got other schools where they haven't got any at all. And I think that's, you know, that that can be very difficult. And things can change. You know, you can have schools that have had really stable staffing and then, you know, all of a sudden things can change very quickly because that stable staff, you know, they, they could be nearing retirement age. So all of a sudden you lose a lot of them in one go. Um, and I think it's that, you know, variation um and that that change that you know we're, we're working with with people and people are unpredictable and and so you know somebody might you know move regions for whatever region for whatever reason and I think you've got that that variability but also I think if you've got schools that are offering combined science but don't offer the separate sciences you know it may be that people don't get that opportunity to teach within the specialisms and you know I think there is again 11 to 16 schools you know generally um, people want to teach their specialism at A level so they might be going to the 11 to 18 schools so again you might have those those variations that are not specifically regional but some regions have more 11 to 16 or more 11 to 18 schools so again it's it's really complicated um just going back to what you were saying about um sort of enjoyment and and uh, exams and things as well i think you know one of the things that changed for me was when did we start doing two mocks a year um, true, you know. true. <laughs> so that increases workload, it increases pressure, it takes time out of what's already a packed curriculum. Study leave, you know, when we used to let year 11s go before they started their exams, now they tend to stay in through that time. And that meant that, you know, that curriculum development, that extracurricular activity, those other things that you might have done, that all gets compressed into a much shorter time after you know, the exams are finished. Um, I know at the moment, you know, that enrichment activity, I've seen schools saying that, you know, they they can't afford that now because they can't afford the coaches to take the students on, you know, trips and things like mm. that. But I think, again, it's that bigger picture, isn't it? Those opportunities where you would have had the whole department available to work together because your exam classes weren't in that's become much more compressed and then that increases pressure and then we go back to the you know that vicious um cycle again yes it seems that um as you say i'm similar kind of experience to you in that you had that cutoff point in May, I always remember, I think it was May half term, where you knew that year 11 were officially on study leave and you could breathe for a bit and do some of that curriculum work and that development work. Uh, when I started teaching also, exam invigilation was what you did as well, actually, but it's almost that they, they took that away and then brought something else back to fill that time you'd, you'd, you'd gained, um, which seems strange because there was always, again, I remember doing reports at the end of the year, of course, there was lots of reports to write and actually, um, you know, that was a significant, that was a significant amount of time at the end, end of the year, but there was still definitely a bit more breathing space in terms of, um, time to think about how you would, uh, be approaching the work in September, October, which then if you're not doing it, then, you know, you're squeezing that into, you know, probably your, your, you know, official holiday time in inverted commas, um, which makes, um, you know, August shrink even further, which to be fair, I suppose people always talk about it that, you know, you've got the holidays. Um, when those get squeezed even more, when you've been working weekends as well as, um, uh, you know, throughout the, the, the normal working week as well, it doesn't seem such such a, such a good deal 
overall and i think the um sometimes the general public maybe don't see don't see that um that's that side of things and actually interestingly and correct me if i'm wrong sarah but i i believe when when the government you know suggests pay rises it's the school that has to foot the bill of those pay rises is that is, is that correct as in um from their their own budget but the budget itself may not have risen in the same say five percent that's my understanding yes and i think there has so sometimes i think there is those that budget increases and other times it doesn't and I think most recently it hasn't and I think this is why we've also seen the reduction in support staff so we've also seen you know schools um, choosing to cut the number of support staff however there is an issue isn't there as well with retention of support staff so retention of technicians um, and we're finding that has a massive impact as well because technicians are really important to science departments not just in the delivery of the good practical work but in supporting early career teachers and again those teachers teaching out of specialism when I started teaching and and possibly the same for you you know there were specific technicians for different subjects so we had a physics technician and a a biology technician and a chemistry technician and schools had multiple technicians now some schools don't have any Um, in fact Recently, one of the SLP regions, um, Buckinghamshire, did a survey of their technicians and found that in the next five years, a third are planning to retire, but two thirds of them are planning to stop being technicians altogether. So, you know, of those two thirds, one third are retiring, but another third are, are planning to to, to not be technicians and the reasons cited are poor pay lack of progression and lack of respect and technicians used to be employed to work all year round so they would be you know coming in in the holidays and doing some maintenance and you know upkeep of equipment and things but then because you know budgets have fallen costs have to be cut and that's another area that's that's gone and I think that you know when we're looking at science staffing if you know, science is a practical subject, we want to do practical work, we have a requirement to do practical work for, you know, GCSE and A-level. If there's no technician, that's something else that falls to the teacher, that increases their workload. We're back to, you know, teaching not being as attractive because of the increase in the workload. Yes, I mean, one of the one of the key challenges, of course, of, you know, of being a science teacher, and uh, like you, I was chemistry was, was, you know, a heavy practical um, I don't want to say toll, but you have to be organised. You have to make sure you are ordering the right things for the right class, um, of course. And uh, you know that might, that will vary, of course, on the on the types of students that you you are teaching for that those particular slots. And the difficulty of inflexibility of the timetable of moving those things around once you once you put them in place. And yes, the fewer you know technician support in my experience as well was very patchy towards the end of my time in, in the classroom. And um, as you say, it's it's integral to the um, the running of the science department. Actually, in a funny way, I always remember being a very positive kind of more human experience. The technician was like the hub of your prep room, so to speak, and um, somebody you could um, have a chat to during the day if you had a break. Um, uh, obviously, a place we can catch up, have a cup of tea, and uh, those all those other those things where which kind of get pushed to the side a little bit when you are so busy. And if you haven't got a technician to, uh, to to chat to or to you know um, you know grab some test tubes off off whatever whatever it might be, um, it, it's part of the kind of uh, the glue of a science department is, is is a good technician. And 
you know, I know that uh, the technicians I knew um, towards the end of my time in the classroom, they they'd come from industry, etc., and they they did a little bit of they could almost it was like pro pro bono work for them, um, as in they they wanted to give something back to their local local schools, uh, and they, of course they weren't doing it for the money, but um, yeah, difficult to find people who um, can commit to you know you know x number of years to support a support a science uh, de- department, um, and as you say, if you're lucky to have specialist technicians in your school. You know that's an absolute, uh, you know, an absolute um, a bonus bonus for you. In terms of the um, the kind of the recruitment of those techni- that technicians, I mean, is there any factors you think? I mean, other, other than the things you mentioned, things like pay. Is it, is it just, again, is it just about pay? Do you think for technicians, why is it more difficult? It seems to, to get um, people in these roles. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I think traditionally a lot of people used to do the technician role because it fitted in well with you know having a family and and dropping children off at school and 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 having the holidays um, or at least some of the holidays but of course now we've got more much more flexible working in a lot of other areas that's become much less you know it it doesn't stand out as as much um so i think that's one factor but i think the main thing really is pay um because of course people can earn more and have that same flexibility um so i think that's that's one thing um i know that there are lots of efforts around you know looking at apprenticeship schemes and trying to to get people into it but if you haven't got a a reasonable pay progression there's nowhere to go is there so i think perhaps we're not retaining people and I think you know again multiple factors um, but again I think you know schools where behavior is a challenge you know technicians will also experience some of that negative behavior um, but again it's it's respect isn't it it's that as you said you know the technicians being a vital part of a department and um if anything, I think they're, they're more vital where we don't have those experienced teachers. Um, again, when I started teaching, you know, within a department, you would have a pretty wide um, range of ages. So you'd have, you know, people coming in, you know, at the starts of their careers, generally younger. You would have, you know, people in leadership roles, but you would also have teachers who were experienced teachers and that's what they were doing. And we seem to have lost those people. Um, you know, if you are on the upper pay scale, and you know you don't have a leadership role they are very very rare now and actually they were like gold dust particularly for younger teachers who were just learning their trade because you know they had time you know technicians had time older teachers had time to go through with you this is how you do that practical when you're teaching that subject this is the key points you know just be aware of this that and the other they had time to mentor you around behavior and I think that you know we've talked a lot about pressure and I think you know schools are so busy there is so much going on you know lunch breaks have shortened um after school sessions being run all the time if you haven't got enough teachers there's increased amounts of cover work when do we have those conversations those rich conversations around our subject and to enable everybody to benefit that informal professional development but also that you know I've learned something I've tried this it's not working we haven't got that breadth and depth of experience um, and we haven't got that time thinking about technicians and uh going back and, and thinking about the roles they also they played uh, in one of the schools I, I i 
was at was um, in terms of data. They were inputting our data because the teachers didn't have time to put their data in. So the technicians were putting the data in for, uh, to help um, with, in, the exam, in the exam period. So they were kind of absolutely um, uh, vital for the kind of running of the department. So not just the practical side of things, but also as data's come in, they, they, they've been uh, kind of help, helping with that in my experience as well. I mean, in terms of... Um, uh, obviously, you know, you know, uh, you know, progress. I think it's important for all, all careers to have have progress, and I think that you know that that real time time terms pay decline between 2010 2020 of about 11 percent. I read um, is is significant in terms of you know keeping up with I suppose if you want with other types of graduate roles. It seems it seemed a bit um, uh, you know hard to take, I guess, as as, as, a, as a teacher. But in terms of kind of um, Thinking about what what are the ways in which things could be practically made better. I read recently that uh, one school near me actually was, I'm not sure how it's going, but trialing a four day week for teachers or a, a, um, one day which was completely all working flexibly. So you could have one day, I think, at home to do your prep. So kind of uh, matching a little bit the kind of hybrid work that many people um, are available to take up now with the, the technology we have. Uh, so are there any kind of things that we could start to do that are are or can make you know the, the the profession more attractive to more people more often i guess as the phrase might go yeah so the um the, the survey that looked at the teachers working lives 84 percent of teachers said they still enjoy teaching so i think it's that you know how can we get back to keeping teaching the main thing and yeah. you know how can we reduce these other these other things but there's also as you say you know i think we have to look at flexible working and as you say individual schools are trialing it I mean interestingly you know I left full-time teaching in 2017 and I remember going to a DfE consultation on flexible working and how we could you know improve things and it is possible but it has to be done on a school by school um, basis now I know the DfE is looking for case studies and you know collecting data on where it's working um, sort of effectively and and as you say you know if you could timetable for people to have their PPA time you know off-site then then that would make a difference and I know that that's possibly easier for primary than secondary because the other thing is that I don't I I don't know I think again each individual circumstances will vary but you know having all your PPA on one day so you effectively then teach you know four days of of back-to-back lessons that's quite that's quite a big ask I've done three days back-to-back lessons in the past and and that's fairly fairly challenging (laughs) yes absolutely um so I think there's you know there are things like that which you're looking at on an individual basis I also know that the Institute of Physics has done some work around this um and they were looking at you know if you have early career teachers who are physics teachers and things like that you know can you give them and in fact it doesn't just apply to physics but can you give people duplicate classes in the same year group so that you know you're not having to prep multiple lessons you can you know use the same lessons yeah Um, again um you know looking at that sort of can you do that sort of thing can people teach within their specialism where possible um if they're not teaching within their specialism, what support can be given? So if you're providing CPD, and we know that actually, you know, particularly for early career teachers, that providing subject-specific CPD plays a massive part in keeping them in the classroom, 
but can you give them some additional time? And this is where it's difficult, isn't it? Because time is money. Um, but actually, it's that working out, you know, what happens if, you know, can you, could they maybe not be a form tutor so they have some additional time there or, you know, what other things c- can be given? And and then it comes down to, I think you mentioned autonomy previously, it's having good schemes of work so that, you know, there is good quality materials um, and but but then teachers still want to be able to customise those, um, you know, for their own use. But knowing that particularly if you're teaching out of specialism, that the science that you've got, those misconceptions have been flagged, that progression has been flagged. So good quality resources, because, again, I think, you know, you can lose hours of your life looking for you know, resources and things like that. So actually having shared schemes that have been developed, you know, by subject specialists, but have been interpreted for people to be able to use readily, that's helpful as well. But again, I think, you know, again, everybody's everybody's different. You mentioned pinch points as well. So looking at, you know, where things are likely to happen. So we know that, you know, open evenings happen and that's, you know, takes time and, and things like that, where reports, you know, where reports are, are being written and or collated. Um, it's looking at what else you can do so that having that bigger picture to try and, and help people um avoid having an overload of things but even if where there are pinch points highlighting those so that you know people are aware of them so again it's that planning and for again particularly early career teachers who are less used to this sort of thing providing support and guidance around that you know sharing strategies sharing good practice yes i think um that that the point you make about rep- repetition is so important. Uh, one school I worked at, I was just teaching my special subject, and it was so much easier. Even if you were to- te- teaching uh, top, middle, and foundation sets, um, because you could obviously alter the things you were doing, but it was it was round about the same topic, so you knew where you were, and you could do that repetition. I think even if you reduced um, science teachers' specialism, if you like, to two subjects rather than three, that even that would be you know good I tended to teach I think chemistry and physics which um, made things manageable but as soon as you have all three especially at GCSE especially if some of them are, are um, you know high ability sets that is, that is challenging work um, and you just don't don't learn the skills when you are chopping and changing all the time or one year you've got a top set other year you've got a foundation set you need some degree of repetition to learn learn your craft definitely in the early years and when you don't get that it's very difficult to um, feel like, again, you're making progress because you feel like, oh, I'm back to step one. Now I'm teaching teaching uh, physics or what have you and I haven't done that for three years and now I'm doing it, you know, doing it again. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a difficult um, kind of a thing to solve with all the other kind of staff changes. But in terms of, I was going to mention, because uh, you talked about it before, but um, behaviour. Now, obviously, science is a core subject to 16. I used to teach and I taught, I've taught in 11 to 16 schools, 11 to 18 schools in my time. Um, and uh, I put my notes in there. I don't know if it's the right phrase, but it's sometimes the ugly duckling of the core of the core subjects. Maths and English, of course, is alone double weighted for the um, uh, the old progress eight, and uh, so the school don't view it maybe as important as obviously maths and uh, uh, maths and English for kind of stats purposes. 
but also the students themselves because just the fact that no one asks them to redo any science qualification in college but you know they might be asked to um to do maths or english of course um do you think that has an effect on uh behavior as in the the you know the status of the subject i suppose is is not equal i would say to to maths and english as as it stands what are your thoughts on that it varies um, according to school, according to students. Um, I think, you know, it is difficult and I have heard, you know, I have come across the, oh, well, I don't need this, you know, and, and, and so on. And I think, you know, but actually you you do need some level of awareness of science in everyday life. And I think that, you know, the pandemic proved that um, very well for us. Um, but again, as you say, if you've got to try and engage those students, there's a whole additional level of pressure there or work or or so on um i think also i mean for me one of the saddest things is is removal of the the single science and the applied qualifications as well you know so that we're not necessarily giving everybody that opportunity to achieve yeah i think again if you think about you know practical work can be really engaging particularly for some disaffected students. And again, you know, trying to include, and I'm not saying we should be doing practical for the sake of practical, you know, I think that it has a role in engaging and some, it is a way of engaging some disaffected students. But again, that increases workload, doesn't it? If you're trying to think about ways of, you know, making your lessons more appealing and, you know, and and so on and so forth. And actually, you know, motivating students who, why have they switched off and I think trying to dig down into you know why they might not see science as being as valuable for them that can be really really challenging as you say. So in terms of I wanted to ask you I suppose where we are it feels like to me I've I've written my notes here uh, have we reached rock bottom is is this as as uh, low as recruitment is going to get do you think and anywhere is up from here um, we hope I suppose but you know, it, it, what are your thoughts on that in the next three, three, three to four years horizon? Any any kind of chinks of light through the clouds, Sarah? Well, it is the most worrying time that I've experienced. But then I think, well, maybe that's because I've not necessarily been as aware of things. You know, we, we do have social media that tends to, you know, share these figures and repeat mm. the figures. Um the number of vacancies is very worrying and, you know, the pressure is very worrying. But I think also that, you know, that vicious circle that, you know, it becomes this perpetuating thing, you know, you haven't got a teacher. So then that increases the workload for the other teachers. It reduces the behavior and and so on and so forth. But what we always have to have is hope, isn't it? I think we have to hold on to the fact that actually, you know, perhaps the, the fact that teachers are striking and they are the unions are collaborating you know putting coming together there is a a greater awareness surveys are looking at you know work-life balance and so on Um, we have to hope we have to hope we do indeed so just to um to round off um this conversation which i hope hasn't been uh, too too negative i hope um but obviously we we we're, we're obviously discussing um you know some serious serious challenges within the education system if you could boil it down i know these kind of questions are quite difficult but if if there were three things you would like to give science teachers in september uh 2023 
that could be implemented and we're not talking about how much it's going to cost or, or um, you know whether it is practical perhaps um, are there any things that spring to mind that you think actually when that when that um, either NQT or that that middle leader or that teacher that's been there for 25 years what could what could uh, what could we do to, to make things better if you could you, could you um, think of three things that might be good Oh, that's that, that's a really challenging one, isn't it? Because again, it depends on on where you are. So for that early career teacher, you know, what do you want? You want to have, um, you want to feel supported. So you want to feel that you're teaching a subject that you're confident to teach. You've got materials that are going to help you. That you've got support with behaviour should you need it. Somebody's investing in you in terms of CPD and time. Time to embed that CPD. Uh, you also perhaps want to look at you know a pathway of where you can go um, but you want to to have that structured for a head of department you probably want to know you've got stable staffing you probably want to know that you've got good people that you can put you know subject specialists you can put in front of your classes and you're not going to have to worry too much um, you want you know perhaps a bit less pressure um, I'm not saying less accountability because nobody, you know, everybody, every teacher I've met wants the best for their students, but they want a bit more time to focus on the main things. So we won't go into curriculum time and things like that because that's a whole different different subject. But you want that status, that recognition, that time, that stable staffing. Um, and technicians. <laughs> You know, technicians in the, in the in the in the prep room stable staffing with technicians yeah because they yeah. do have such yeah. a massive impact as, as you've said and I think you know we want to we want new teachers coming into the profession because but we want the profession to we want teaching to be you know front and center so actually let's get back to the main thing we want to focus on teaching we want to be able to deliver our subject we want to have sufficient time we want to have the environment in which to do that definitely some good ideas that we we hope will will happen um in the near future hope not in the far future now just to finish off um i can't uh can't leave you out asking about uh, obviously stem learning stem learning is a great organization to help science teachers is there anything you'd like to mention about uh, your your own organisation that um, science teachers that you you know would like to be aware of in terms of the support you offer? Because some people may not know. So, is there anything you'd like to to add before we sign off today? Absolutely. So. STEM Learning is here to provide science CPD um, and we do that for a whole range of teachers. So wherever you are in your career and for technicians, we have courses, whether you're early career teachers, we've got some great summer schools, we've got some new summer schools for developing teachers. So teachers becoming um, coming out of the early career framework looking to develop their pedagogy. We have courses for subject leaders looking to, uh, you know, for new in, and in a Inspiring subject leaders and also experienced subject leaders, um, and you know it's been it's been shown that good subject specific CPD has been um, a factor in keeping teachers in the classroom. So you know if you're not aware of what we offer, do have a look on the website or get in touch with your local science learning partnership because they will be able to guide you. And what is the uh, the website name? Is it just stem if you just search stem learning stem learning stem learning yeah. is a place to go to find out all the things that are the good things that stem are doing 
uh, up in York there and across the country. So thank you very much for joining me today, Sarah. It's been an interesting chat. It's always nice to catch up with you. And I wish you the best of luck and uh, on your mission to support science teachers. And let's, let's um, hope that things over time will start to improve. Um, so thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the View from the Lab podcast. It was a deep discussion that needs to be had if we're going to improve things over the long term. Do you have experience of recruiting science teachers and holding on to them for significant amounts of time? Maybe you could let us know on the podcast all your secrets. If you're interested in joining the conversation, please feel free to email me at andy.woods at pearson.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.